Welcome to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. Chris shares don't sweat wisdom to help you achieve greater mental health, self-compassion, and better communication with family, friends, and coworkers. Listen in and learn simple ways to live your most vibrant life of joy. Hi, and welcome back to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast. This is Christine Carlson. Before we begin with our interview today of behind the scenes of the Lifetime movie, let's go ahead and take our golden pause. So wherever you are, sit comfortably, close your eyes, place your palms open on your lap, and just begin to breathe with me. Breathing in through your nose, allowing your chest and your belly to fully expand, taking in the fullness of your breath. On the exhale, just release, relax, and let go. And breathing in pure golden sunlight to the top of your head, to the tips of your fingers and your toes. On the exhale, relax a little bit deeper. And breathing in pure golden sunlight to every cell of your being. On the exhale, just release what doesn't serve you. Breathing in pure golden sunlight to the top of your fingers, to the tips of your toes. Just let go, relax, and sink into your breath. And this time, as you breathe in pure golden sunlight to every cell of your being, place your hand on your heart, activating your heart, opening your heart, and spend a moment thinking of one thing you feel grateful for. Just one simple thing. And as you breathe in golden gratitude to the top of your head, to the tips of your fingers and your toes, exhale, relax, and let go. Breathing in pure golden gratitude to every cell of your being. On the exhale, let go a little bit more. And breathing in pure golden gratitude in your mind, in your heart, in your entire being. On the exhale, allow that gratitude to wash over you like a cascading waterfall of pure joy. And breathing in pure golden gratitude again. Allow it to wash over you again like a cascading waterfall of pure joy. And as you breathe in that pure golden gratitude to every cell of your being, on the exhale, go ahead and open your eyes. Well, Maura Dunbar and Mark Teitelbaum, the executive producers of the newly released Lifetime movie, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, the Christine Carlson story, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Christine. Happy to be here. Yeah, so I just want to, um, instead of reading a formal bio from each of you, I would love for you to just talk a little bit about your history as an executive producer and, you know, just a little bit about your personal story. So, Mark, let's start with you. Uh, my personal story, sure. Well, I've been producing for about 10 years, the last 10 years of my career, uh, long and illustrious career. Um, mostly in the television series world, though. I put together and produced Robin Williams' last series, um, uh, The Crazy Ones, uh, based on a, a friend of mine who actually did run an ad agency. 
And then I did a, um, a half hour, that was for CBS, and also a half hour series for CBS called Superior Donuts, based on a play by Pulitzer Prize winner Tracy Letts. Um, I pre- executive produced Mad TV for a while, and um, uh, you know, a few movies here and there, but happy to be part of this one, the most current and recent in our journey. That's great. What were you doing before you became a producer? Um, and I started my career in the mailroom of the William Morris Talent Agency and became an agent, a talent agent for about a decade and a half. Um, and I was fortunate enough to represent some, I was assigned to the old guys. So I was representing uh, Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau and Andy Griffith and Dick Van Dyke, true icons. And uh, I'm old enough to have um, started working with some young, un, a lot of young unknown actors, but some of them, one was Denzel Washington and Michelle Pfeiffer. So it's been a kind of a long, fun journey. Then I started a personal management company. I left the talent agency business to start a management company and uh, represented mostly actors and actresses during that time. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Yay. All right. Well, and Maura, tell us about your background and your history, and then I'm going to roll us right into Maura's and my history together, which is also a long history. So go ahead, Maura. Let's hear about you. Well, I've been in the business about 37, 38 years now. Uh, I like to say I'm just a kid from Glendora, California, who got really super lucky and got into this business and still feel like a kid in a candy store. So I started out as a temp secretary at ABC Network. Um, I was there for 16 years and worked my way up through every promotion imaginable to being vice president of miniseries and special projects. Um, During that time, I probably oversaw about 300 different TV movies and miniseries, including Stephen King's about six six different miniseries from Stephen. I worked with Larry McMurtry, Chris Columbus, uh, Tom Clancy, a bunch of different big authors and did my fair share of true crime and ripped from the headline stories. Uh, I moved from the network to launch a little channel called the Hallmark Channel, where I was the first to have original programming, where I started making the heartwarming Hallmark Channel movies, which I like to say are earning my way back into heaven for having to done all those true crime stories. Uh, uh, I was uh, when I left ABC interestingly enough um, that is where I ended up meeting you and Richard which we'll get back to Um, but in the meantime I was at Hallmark for about two years so 18 years of my career have been as a network executive Um, I then went to work for another company and uh, have been executive producing movies Um, the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff marked my 25th movie. I've done, um, two to three seasons of an American Bible Challenge game show, two documentaries, and another reality series for, uh, Lifetime called What Should You Do, which we did 44 episodes of. So I'm just truly blessed and I love what I get to do and I get to play in the sandbox every day and it's just a pure, pure joy. Oh, I love that so much. And then, you know what, your company is called um, Mad Dog Productions. And there's a reason for that. Want to share what the reason for that is? (laughs) I was working at ABC. I worked for a boss. um, And uh, he said, essentially, I have the tenacity of a dog. I would be like a dog with a bone and I don't give up. Uh, When I want to get something done, I just dig in and I keep at it just like a dog with a bone. 
Um, and so, uh, as we will talk about with this project, uh, 21 years of making this project happen and never giving up. Uh, so he nicknamed me Mad Dog Dunbar. And the nickname is stuck. It's uh, people just call me Mad Dog. And so when I went out on my own and started my own shingle, it just seemed to be the right name for the company, Mad Dog Productions. Um, and while we were on the set of Mad Do of uh, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, I believe the call often was woof woof on set. And uh, <laughs> oftentimes the first AD would be saying Mad Dog coming in hot, Mad Dog coming in hot, woof woof. <laughs> so, you know, it, uh, it fits the purpose, I believe. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. Yeah, so I want to just hear, because you do such a beautiful job of telling our story, so you can just continue. Well, our story began um, with a great tragedy in my life. So 27 years ago, I lost four immediate family members. So my father died in October of uh, bladder cancer, and then shortly thereafter, my brother died 10 days after his 40th birthday in February. And then my, my grandmother died uh, in March of 96 years. And she was really the, my guru, my inspiration, my guardian angel, the woman who taught me and wanted, inspired me to be a storyteller. And interestingly enough, a year to the day, within one day, my mother died of a heart attack. And it was during this deep, dark depression and darkness that enveloped me that I found your husband's Richard's books. And when you were so enveloped, engulfed in this just deep, dark ocean of darkness, you don't know where to go. And all these other heady books about grief and grief process, they also don't really make sense because they're also confusing and you're going through all these stages of grief and it's just, you just can't process. And it was Richard's clarity of his voice and these small little pieces of light that you could hang on to. They were these little bits of light that you could hang on to. And it was small steps, but they were easily digestible, easy, small, understandable ways of not stressing because you're so overwhelmed. And they were the little points of light that every day I read a new chapter that I could string another piece of light. And eventually these lights became the roadmap, became the rays of light that lit the room. And I could start to see my way through in the everyday sets of circumstances that began to clear away the darkness where I could start to see a path for me to begin my healing. And it wasn't about dealing with all the grief at that point. It was about me taking care of myself and how I could deal with the everyday things that I needed to do and cope so that I could be open for the healing that needed to happen. But it was those very simple, practical steps that we can take in our lives to dispel all the rest of the stress because everything becomes so much bigger, particularly when you're in grief. Everything becomes unimaginably unmanageable. And so it's those books that became those footholds to build and climb out of the darkness. So even though it seems like maybe they're not as attached to grief recovery, they really were because it was the little things about not stressing this, the little things about not stressing that. And they were they were the hooks. They made sense. And I could just focus on that. And then I read the next one and the next one. And that's what helped. And so I became so impassioned about them. And I saw this image of this story at the time developing it as a half hour of comedy, because I always thought it was this wonderful story, because embedded in that is so much of yours and Richard's story and so much of the life that he led with Keta and with Jazz that he infused everything about what he learned about this wonderful wisdom came from the, from the bosom of your family's life. 
And in that was the story of this man. And I saw this comedy of the story behind the story of this man who lived this amazing life and had this idea about this comedy of what's the life of the guy who's the leading stress, no stress expert. And maybe his life in the comedy is antithetical to that. And so I called Bob Miller, who was the president of Hyperion Publishing, who published your books, Richard's books. And he and I were very good friends from my relationship at ABC. ABC and Disney owned Hyperion. So he said, yes, he would make the introduction. And I flew up to Martinez, where I met you and Richard. I spent the weekend getting to know you. And being with Richard was... I don't want to tell you, just being with Richard is like being with the Buddha in the Zen garden, being in Richard's presence and his, the warmth of his smile and the energy which you felt coming off of him was like being in this calm center and his graciousness and his philosophy that you just felt he was so genuine. It was so there that it just infused me with that mad dog spirit. There was no way I was ever going to give up on making this. We did sell this series and we sold it very quickly. Uh, we sold it to Tanya Lopez, who was my our agent at the time. And through, as Mark will attest, many things happen in the creative process of making these things. One thing led to another. And after nine months of negotiations here and there, back and forth, we weren't able to come to terms with a deal. This happens in Hollywood, Mark will tell you. Uh, and the deal fell apart. Uh, I think Richard and I, we tried one more time and we didn't get that successful. And time went by. And then sadly, Richard's life ended on that flight with that tragedy. And you and I reconnected. And I went up and I spent that weekend with you. And we went through those videos and we talked and we talked about what you were going to say on Oprah. And we talked about the book you were writing. I read journals with you and we went through this. And I knew that this was something of a stewardship that I needed to be a part of to carry on this legacy. And that there was a reason why I had met Richard and why I had met you. And maybe that initial incarnation wasn't the right, but there was a legacy here that I knew that I needed to continue on. And you have been so wonderful and gracious and trusting me. And then became the time when I realized that maybe I didn't have all those gears and equipment and tools in my toolkit to get it set up as a half hour. And I reached out to my dear friend, Mark. And Mark, who is that expertise in the half hour business, came along and he, we were successful in selling this two more times because of his relationships. But ultimately, as the universe has its course and has its play and God has his hand and Richard has his hand, the timing wasn't right. And in this beautiful story, the story of what this movie was supposed to be was not supposed to be a half hour comedy. It was supposed to come at the right time and birth itself at the time that it was meant to be. And the timing became when Mark had a lunch with Tanya Lopez years after where she said, hey, whatever happened to that book, don't sweat the small stuff. And the book became went into development as a movie at Lifetime. So the agent who first helped me sell it is the person who bought it as a movie. And then through the divine providence that we live by in our spiritual lives, when we're awakened to the spirit that moves us, this book became the story of you, Chris, and your heartfelt journey 
as you've lived this life and this philosophy, and as you had to face the challenge that so many of us have been facing through this loss of COVID and through so many women's loss of their husbands or husbands losing their spouse, and we missed that critical time to be able to say goodbye. I didn't have that chance to say goodbye to my mother. I learned of my mother's death from a phone call, getting a message on Saturday when I was in Palm Springs, and I never got to say goodbye to her. She had had a heart attack on Good Friday. And we've had those times, and it's so hard to come back from that. And so this movie became that stewardship to tell your story, which will be the beacon of light that will guide other women and men and fathers and mothers and daughters and sons and friends through a healing journey to show that we can come back through this. We have the spirit in us, within us. And you, my friend, have given me the greatest gift and trusting me for 21 years to be able to do this with you. And I will always be forever grateful that you have done this and that we have done this together because I think this story is a gift and a gift for so many and will be such a healing journey. So thank you. With wow. all That's so beautifully said, Maura. And no, thank you. And thank you, Mark, for you know, taking this on and, you know, I think um, most times in Hollywood, you know, you get, I think there's this pushback in telling too sad of a story, you know, and I know that we've been on a journey with this, with um, this movie too, you know, how to do that balance between having it be real and showing grief and also having it be inspirational. And certainly, you know, in my own life, like after all this time has passed, you know, I can see how much grief serves us and how much it heals us and how much we we can really, once we choose, come back um, and take the reins of our lives, whatever that might be. Not everybody has a Don't Sweat the Small Stuff brand to take the reins of, but everybody has a life to take the reins of. So I just want to thank both of you because uh, this movie wouldn't have come about without you. And it's just, it, I, I really, I feel really just so honored. And um, I mean, I'm feeling a little weird about it right now because, you know, it's coming out this week and I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> but by the time you all hear this podcast, we'll have seen it. And, um, and I'm looking really forward with, from what I have seen, it looks really beautifully done. And so Mark, like, thank you, Maura. That was so beautifully said and so touching. And Mark, tell me like how this um, movie and just working on this movie and on this project for so long has impacted you. And, and what did you love most about the movie as it was unfolding and, and as it was done? Boy, well, first, first of all, I don't know that I have anything to add beyond what Maura said. She's, as always, so articulate. She's so lived this. This this project is, because for us it's a project, right? But for this project is so deep in her bones. Um, and I've worked with her for so long on it, I could actually tell the Maura story uh, because many times I got on a call with an executive or a network or a studio to pitch the idea. And simply, I was really pitching Mora. I was, you know, parroting Mora because she's so she speaks so well. Um, and I should actually thank Mora for bringing me into this project. Probably about ten years ago, I I remember we I remember we had lunch and we were talking about 
we had we had we were involved in a project together. She produced a movie. I had a an acting client in that movie, um, and there were some hiccups. So we did a lot of problem solving together on it, and uh, and we had known each other. I'm I've been in show business longer than Maura, so I've known Maura her whole virtually her whole career. Um, but we reconnected on that project with problem solving, which we did, and I think the res- the process was so um, productive that we got together just to catch up. and And she had said to me, you know, I I have uh, I'm working on this project. I haven't really been able to sell it. We sold it, blah blah blah. And she barely got the words "Don't sweat the small stuff" out of her mouth. Or like, I'm in, because <laughs> I just saw it as clearly as she saw it. I mean, I thought, honestly, I thought the half hour version uh, was brilliant. It was a brilliant idea. And, and, and the first time I sold it was on a street corner, literally on, a, on, on the corner of, I, I, don't, I don't know where Carnegie Hall is. It's like the corner of 6th and 54th, I think, to Jamie Ehrlich, who's now the president or CEO of Apple TV, but he was the he was the president of Sony TV at the time, literally sold it to him on the street corner and um, and then sold it again because we never quite got the writers to crack the nut the right way. Uh, and it really did become obvious that I think this needed to be a movie. And, and, and I don't think I'm answering your question yet, but I will say the initial conceit for the movie was to create... Uh, a fictional story uh, for lifetime of women, of you know, of a woman, but possibly to do this multiple time, multiple movies, who somehow in their lives kind of got their lives on track using the tenets of "Don't sweat the small stuff" in some way, shape, or form. And as we, and that's what we sold. And as we developed, we met with writers. We were getting pitches. We were we we actually sold a pit a version of this to. Lifetime approved a version of it. And as we were going through it, it became more and more obvious to Maura and I that really the only story that made any sense to tell was your story. There was no fictional version of a woman going through, and none of them involved grief, by the way, in the, in the versions we were done. None of them involved a loss of life and grief. Um, uh, but none of them resonated the way your story, your, your true story resonates. And so to be able to, one, get Lifetime to agree to do that movie, and two, and I, I might be getting this wrong, Maura, but I think I called Maura at one point and said, listen, I think the only way to really do this movie and Lifetime's willing to do it is to do Christine's actual story, to which Maura was like, great news, Oh my God! How am I going to explain this to Chris? <laughs> and how am I going to get her to say yes? And and I think then to kind of to circle back to your question, I think partly each time Maura said, "Oh my God! How am I going to get Chris to say yes to this?" or "How am I going to get Chris?" Each and every time, just as I said when I heard "Don't sweat the small stuff," I could barely. She let her finish before I said yes. I think Maura barely got the question or the statement out of her mouth before you would say yes. And your 
And I'll say that. And then I'll say, you came to visit us on the set and you hung out with us. And I sat at one day at lunch. I sat with you, but you were really sitting with some of the actors and, you know, some of the, I'll call them kids, the kids involved in the, and they were asking you questions and you were talking about, you were just talking to them. And I have found you in person to be so centered and so articulate and so um, motivational that I'm quite impressed with you, honestly. You're, you're, you have such a positivity about you. And every time Maura came to you with an issue, your answer was, yeah, you're in the yes business, which is so um, exciting to me. And I think that's one of the things I've learned. Um, in the process of making this movie, which is everything is possible. Everything has a time. And, you know, and uh, and just to to be positive. Um, I, I that's you know, that was it. Wow, that's that's so sweet. Thank you. What Mark? Well, that's big coming from from my dear friend Mark, who I've not <laughs> quite cynical throughout. <laughs> my man mark which we call miracle mark because mark really has i just have to thank him again for being such an exceptional incredible partner because there's so many things that happened in this movie that would not have happened if mark had not been there as my partner as an executive producer that he was able to navigate and pull off and make happen so a huge thank you to mark well, and, oh, sorry. That speaks to the like gazillion details that is part of production. I mean, I think when people hear the word producer, I don't know what people think a producer is, but I kind of got the feeling that a producer is the entire movie. <laughs> I didn't know what a producer did until I watched you guys at work. And I mean, really the, the gazillion, every detail, like it's almost like, like starting a whole, like, whole camp like say a whole camp with all sorts of activities that that need every single detail taken care of in every single scene and every i was just amazed at the involvement and the size of production this was behind the scenes like i when i first drove up i was like holy shit this is a real this is a really big deal I was like, there's nothing low budget about this. Like, this is like, there's just like these big, huge cameras everywhere and just hundreds of people running around. And you're thinking, oh my God, all these people, whoa, who's managing all these people and all these details? These two. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, Christine, because when I pulled up, I thought, where is everybody? This is not enough people or enough equipment to get this done. <laughs> That's funny. Different perspectives, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and so tell us, because I, I understood there was quite a difference for a lot of people, including Heather, like working on this movie. Like she said, it was just such a wonderful experience. The people, the way everybody related to each other. Talk a little bit about that and why you think that came into play. Why it was different than a lot of movie sets. Maura? Um. You know, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I think we had an exceptional group of people. Um, I don't know, Mark may have a better answer to this, but uh, 
Ellen Pressman. She was the director and she did a fantastic job. We had an amazing group of people between Ellen and I had, I had targeted Ellen early on as a director that I wanted because she had grown up in the Marshall Herskowitz Ed Zwick school. That's 30 something in my so-called life. So I knew she was an actor's director and we were very fortunate then to be able to get Christopher Kimlin, who is an incredible DP. But from the very, very start of the process, I made it very, very clear that this movie had a very special purpose, that this movie was about healing and that we were all a part of a healing journey. And I also have a personal belief as a producer that the producers, we don't make this movie. This movie is made by every singular person on this crew and that it is the gaffers and the grips and the cameramen and the assistant camera, the people who pull the wires, the people who will furnish the sets and decorate the sets, the crafty, the location managers, the, the assistant directors, these are the people who make the movies. It's not necessarily something that every producer says when they start a movie, but this is something that I really truly believe and Mark shared in my vision. And we made sure every day that we brought to the set an attitude of we are all in this together. We have a purpose, we have a mission, we brought fun. We brought humor. We brought laughter. Everyone was appreciated. We knew everybody's name. You know, this is, we spend this business, these movies take 15, 16 hour days and you were pushing your bodies and yourselves to the limit. And, you know, I stand apart. I think Mark and I stand apart from other producers in that we really truly appreciate the people who go out there every day and have to do this for a living, the physical toll on their bodies. And I'm very protective of my crews when they go out and do that. And so to create a nurturing, loving environment where it's no stress, where we realize that we give up our lives at home and families, that we come out here and we're going to do this together. And it should be fun because we have a privilege of getting out and making these movies, these magical, incredible opportunities, and we should have fun doing it. And so I think maybe that was part of the mixture of the special alchemy and the secret sauce. But Mark can speak to that, too. I think that's exactly it. I think, first of all, it started with um, this these this crew that we had, because we were an out-of-town crew. And they tend to, the projects they tend to work on tend to be product, right? So it's either... A, a Christmas movie or it's a commercial or, you know, it tends to be product. And I think we made it very clear and everyone, the, the, on day one, we actually made sure to tell the story of why we were making this movie. So I agree with Maura. First of all, it, it was completely about a purpose. It was fulfilling a, a, a two-decade journey to tell a story that had real meaning. So first of all, it started there. And, 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 you know, our crew, crews, tend to be very jaded. Maura thinks I'm, I am cynical, actually. But, but compared to, but these people make me look like, you know, happy-go-lucky. They're so cynical. And, and Maura, you don't even know this because you were gone. Chris Kimlin told me that, you know, when, 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 a producer, and in this case, it was more, gets on at the end of the day on the walkie-talkie and thanks everybody for helping fulfill the mission. You know, people are rolling their eyes because they they kind of hear it. 
And it was just like, yeah, 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 thank you. But the second night Mora did it, there were no eye rolls. And by the third night Mora did it, everyone understood how genuine uh, she is. And Mora, this is not to in- make it seem like they didn't believe you the first two days. But your genuineness was, you know, bled through everything. And so there was a purpose. And I, I've done a lot of work with the great Gary Marshall, uh, you know, who directed, uh, who created Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy and then directed, you know, Pretty Woman and Runaway Bride. And, um, and, and people would say of Gary, he didn't, he didn't make a movie, he threw a movie because, because his sets were like parties. And I, I, more and I sh- uh, share this philosophy, which is it's, it's so difficult to get a project to the greenlit point where we're actually making it. Um, you just have to enjoy, why not enjoy the process? You only get to bring the circus together and pitch the tent just so many times. And we get to be in the center of the ring. And um, Heather would always, uh, Heather made fun of me because I was always smiling, but I was just so happy to be, I literally was so happy to be there and it is hard work because we, more and I, producers are paying attention to all those details. I have to see. What is that? Oh. <laughs> uh, you threw me off. Anyway, we, you know, we're so focused for so, you know, for 15 hours a day, we're so focused. But regardless, it's just so much fun to have put the circus together and be in the midst of, the, in the middle of the ring. Um, that we we enjoy it, and that that also bleeds through to the crew. Everybody knows we're all rowing in the same direction. Uh, one anecdote is that, you know, Moore and I. Um, at, this is the first movie we produced together. We actually were sat next to each other. It was the two of us in the front, sitting next to each other, and um, we have actually discovered extraordinarily different styles. Um, I was very, we were very respectable each other, uh, respectable of each other, but, you know, this was for sure Moore's dream. And so for me, it was easy to subjugate my own ego because I really wanted to deliver, help her deliver her dream. That's how I saw it. And, um, but occasionally, and they all knew this was happening, we would get into it. And, (laughs) and And like a good, like a good, like a good set of parents, we would walk away and get into it and they could see it. You know, we'd be a half a mile down the road, but they could see (laughs) us. But we came back, but we would get into it. We would come to an agreement. We would agree what we were going to do together. We, so we could, as parents, we like to do it behind closed doors. As producers, there were no doors to close. So, you know, but we would agree on how we were going to handle it, whatever it was. And we would come back. And within minutes of whatever argument we had, we were still just laughing our asses off and we would crack each other up. And I think that also, Maura, I think that that just the greatest tone on that set, um, you might, you'll probably ask, if you're going to ask something about Heather, I'll I'll wait before I dive into that. Maura and I could both talk about it. Well, um, actually, you know, I just wanted to bring up the fact that during this whole time you had your first grandchild too. So 
<laughs> and that was like that was a nice little um a little surprise and also a little tenuous wasn't it because he was due right about the time of uh, the start date and yeah. and then didn't he wasn't he born like i don't know a couple weeks in yeah well first of all it wasn't a surprise i i knew the grandchild was coming um mark was trying to schedule like gallery shoots <laughs> and uh, different pr things around the birth he was literally trying to negotiate with uh, Lifetime's PR people yeah. and so forth, um, oh my God. Uh, just so that he could get it just right for the child's breasts and everything else like that. I mean, it was really, yeah. was really working hard to orchestrate that. Yeah, and, and, the, and the baby was wholly uncooperative. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true grandson, right? <laughs> oh my God, truly uncooperative with our schedule. I mean, it goes back more to I. I was trying to. Well, you know this. We were trying to. I was trying to schedule production. You know, I, I yeah. was trying to schedule pre-production and production around this baby's birth, and they, well, nobody, what, what was, nobody was helping. By the way, I will say, <laughs> the the one day because I, I didn't need to be in town my daughter lives in la so I, and we shot in tennessee i didn't need to be in town for the for the baby's birth because we couldn't you know with covid and all that we couldn't i couldn't go to the hospital anyway and so we, i wouldn't have been able to see her on the day but we knew it was a boy and we knew there would be a bris and the bris was eight days later and so I, there was truly one day in the whole production i needed the bris not to be and i was, I was saying to my daughter Listen, either push or pull, <laughs> but do not let it be. And if, that was the day. Oh, the my God. They couldn't be was the day. Oh, and my God. That was the first day you were on set, actually. I was not there for the first day. That's right. Oh, that's right. Well, congratulations Thank to you. Mark. And congratulations, um, Maura. Just, you know, from all with all my heart, the gratitude I feel for your tenacity and your mad dog presence and everything that you um, did to make this happen. I mean, I, I really think that this is um, going to be just so great for the don't sweat the small stuff legacy. And you, you know, you did, you did your angelic presence on earth job, like whatever Richard did to serve you, you've served he and his family, um, all of that back. So thank you so much. And Mark, um, you're just a delight. And I've so enjoyed getting to know you and, um, you know, I just, I look forward to what maybe we do together next, you know, and just thank you. Um, so looking oh, yes. forward. We have not stopped this journey yet, Chris. <laughs> oh, we still have to do, we're still doing the sitcom, Chris. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think it, I think it's the right time, you know, I, to enclosure, when that didn't go through, um, Richard and I actually did like a, like, like a, wow, we just dodged a bullet, you know, because we really thought about that at the end when it didn't go through. And we, we said that would have been a lot of pressure for our kids to grow up with, you know, um, having a sitcom based on our family. And so we really felt like that we dodged a bullet on that, that it didn't go through. But I think now it would be totally funny and fun and whatever. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, listen, everyone, thank you so much for listening. I want to say again, thank you to Mark and Mora for being on the podcast today behind the scenes of the Lifetime movie, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, uh, the Christine Carlson story. And thank you so much, you two. Christine is thrilled to announce that her book, Heartbroken Open, has been made into a Lifetime movie starring Heather Locklear in her comeback to television. Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, the Christine Carlson story 
premieres at Lifetime on October 16th. Read the real story, a true page turner, and get your copy of Heartbroken Open at Amazon and ChristineCarlson.com.